I was angry Loads running through my head Because uh, I, w- I was staying in a rental place Like what's going to happen to my rent Like my family is going to get to know about this Most often just, just, just piss Like uh, why would anybody uh, rent me out uh, It was nice I sometimes gave a home to uh, friends that get kicked out at home So I housed them And I mean That's the kind of people that would actually At the end of the day Turn around and just stab you at the back I don't know whether will I be sitting in for a full year. It really played with the with the mind, trying to make you mentally stronger. I guess that's why it's called the deterrence phase. Uh, then you get to know that you get visitations. My family did come. First visit was always a uh, the hardest. Mom crying, sister-in-law crying, brother giving me shit. I am crying, but yeah, you know all I could do is say is just apologize. Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. We build bridges of hope for offenders and their families. We contribute to a safer community by successfully reintegrating offenders. We exemplify and lead in creating a more compassionate society that offers second chances. These three sentences represent the vision of an organization known as Yellow Ribbon Singapore. While the Screwed Up Moments podcast has been proudly sharing stories of failure and redemption for some three seasons now, the folks over at Yellow Ribbon Singapore have been helping to redeem those considered by many to be irredeemable in society since the early 2000s. Ex-convicts, former drug addicts, thieves, burglars, gang members, and the like. Through the dedication of their team and their community outreach efforts, they have been helping ex-offenders reintegrate in society through various programs such as skills training and career facilitation, and in doing so, giving them the bridge of hope that they need to find purpose in their life again. Therefore, it is a great pleasure that I present today's episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast, an organizational feature with the organization that perhaps best exemplifies our message of it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again. Thanks to the help of their media team, Yellow Ribbon Singapore have kindly set us up with an interview with one of their career coaches and the ex-offender who worked under him to reintegrate himself back into society. Without further ado, this is their story. Hope you enjoy. Hi, my name is Brian, and I'm a career coach at Yellow Ribbon Singapore. So, first off, Brian, can you tell us a little bit more about Yellow Ribbon Singapore? I understand that it used to be called the Singapore Corporation of Rehabilitative Enterprises, or SCORE. Yep, that's right. Uh, formerly, we were known as SCORE, but as of first May, we actually rebranded to Yellow Ribbon Singapore. Mm. Uh, so, what we actually do also is that uh, our organization actually helps ex-offenders and inmates uh, in terms of employability and how to rebuild their lives uh, You know, through skills upgrading, job placements, as well as uh, just general long-term career planning for the inmates. For those of you who have never heard of Yellow Ribbon Singapore, you might be wondering, what even is the point of such an organization? I mean, plenty of our guests here on Screwed Up Moments are able to get back on their feet by themselves. Why not the ex-offenders? 
generally, I feel also because most of uh, ex-offenders, you know, they are stigmatized. Uh, generally, they tend to fall within the lower strata of society. Mm. Um, and generally, I guess in terms of offering chances to people who have fallen down and made mistakes in their in their lives, it's not really there. So. Yellow Ribbon's aim is actually to assist our ex-offenders and the inmates, keeping them relevant, keeping them suitable for the, the growing environment and uh, just helping them to to restart their lives and get back on their feet. Yeah. Could you give us some sense of like what this stigma is like? Is it like very strong? Like every employer out there is like, once you have a criminal record, it's like immediately we won't hire you or something like that? I wouldn't say it's very strong, mm. uh, but it is still relevant, uh, prevalent in the society as well. So for our end, at least for Yellow Ribbon Singapore, we've partnered with over about 5,600 employers. Mm. Uh, we also share, uh, sorry, we work together with uh, social agencies, social service agencies, and a lot of employers to also uh, provide these support and uh, assistance to the ex-offenders. Uh. In other words, Yellow Ribbon is there to be the support and community for the ex-offenders when no one else will. As Brian mentioned, many of them don't come from privileged backgrounds and as such have few options when they come out of jail and try to make it on their own. But on the flip side, what I'm also wondering is what kind of person commits to doing this kind of social work anyway? I've been with uh, Yellow Ribbon for about two years Mm. as a career coach. Mm. Previously, I was in the private sector, but I felt maybe... um, Numbers wasn't really my game. Mm. And I felt that I could do more, especially for people who, who need the help. For me, I guess in my, my past also, I've, I've uh, encountered a number of friends who, who did go through some issues in their lives. Mm. Uh, and these issues did lead to certain uh, mistakes that they made. So I felt that, uh, you know, it's, it's quite a, a shame. You know, if society doesn't help them, then, then who will? So what has your experience been like? You know, do you find it difficult to get buy-in from employers, for example? You know, okay, I, I find that maybe the role is quite satisfying. Mm. You know, um, being able to help someone and 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 having the gratitude extended towards you back is a real experience. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, there are people who who have uh, been through hardship in their lives. You know, and they're just really trying to restart their lives. And if we don't give them a chance, then they just get stuck back in the same vicious cycle. So. It's really a good experience mm. uh, in terms of how we want to to support people and how we want to just better their lives. You know, where we have some of our ex inmates coming to us and sharing their success stories, like uh, Johnson right here. Mm. You know, <laughs> we we have we really see the 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 benefit for what we do. So I'm just curious, right? Have you ever faced um you know difficult employers? Maybe maybe like you're trying to get an employer to to start a program whereby they hire ex offenders or get them to be more open to the idea. And then they're just like, no, 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 we don't want a partner. Mm. I think generally just a lot of employers uh, have a bit of uh, wariness Mm, in mm. terms of what to expect, especially for people who have never worked together with ex-offenders or provided such opportunities for the lower strata. You know, they don't, yeah, they just really don't know what to expect. Mm. But uh, when they actually do take that step, there have been many, many successful stories, many successful cases of people who have risen the ranks, you know, have... uh, contributed a lot to the working environment and the company and uh, yeah okay and then um, on the flip side right have you ever come across clients you know ex-offenders that you work with that maybe weren't so successful maybe it was a little bit more challenging of a case we we do have um, the profile of people we handle also have quite a bit of aftercare issues so that's why we also work together as uh, me we as Yellow Ribbon also work together with with the other agencies to to try to help them through all these uh, problems that they face. Mm. Uh, but the main difficulty will just be keeping our ex-offenders, you know, stable and uh, just 
positive throughout the entire journey because they've experienced rejection, they've experienced difficulties in their lives. So the, that's really the difficult uh, part about uh, helping people as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, you're here today not just to talk about Yellow Ribbon, but also to share a story of one of the clients, <laughs> uh, one of the success stories <laughs> that you've uh, personally helped previously. And as uh, we discussed, we are keeping your client anonymous for this episode, but uh, we are using the name Johnson. So Brian, can you tell us a little bit about Johnson? Yep. So I was uh, assigned as the career coach for Johnson yeah. back in sometime in 2019. Hmm. Uh through my early conversations with Johnson, you know, we, we did interact every now and then. He did, he did share with me early on that he wants to return back to his former industry, the, mm. the fitness industry. Mm. Uh, and he was a fitness trainer for a number of years. La. I really could sense uh, you know, the passion and the drive that he had for the role. Uh, and this was something that I felt and assessed that it was really a, a long-term career decision for him. And after going through some ups and downs, uh, we placed him back into, into his previous job. Uh, and then I guess, you know, yeah, he, it, was, it was a good experience working with Johnson. Hi, my name is Johnson and I'm a personal trainer for the past eight years. Before being a personal trainer, um, right after NS, I went to LaSalle. I did performing arts. After performing arts, uh, it was a totally different career change for me because um, I started scuba diving hmm. that's where I started to think of hmm, maybe I can start working instead of doing it as a recreational sport so my family invested money to send me off to South Africa I did uh, underwater construction work so I'm a commercial diver oh. yes yeah, so that uh, career was for about five years travelled the world worked in very dangerous dangerous places zero visibility kind of waters after that why I I came back to Singapore because um my late father was diagnosed with cancer, so I want to be back in Singapore just to take care of him, um, see this through. Right. And then my best friend offered me a job becoming a personal trainer. Okay, so um, I understand that you were previously sentenced for drug consumption. Correct. And that you have been using drugs since a young age, about 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? How were you first uh, introduced to drugs? So, um, at 14, mm-hmm. um, me and my group of friends, we were just curious about uh, marijuana. That was our first drug. That was my first drug. And you know what they say about marijuana? It's a gateway drug. So, I wasn't as heavy mm. um, back when I was 14. I got heavier after a national service. Worse was when I started travelling. Because um, being a commercial driver, money's good. Uh, you're overseas you're not bounded by the laws here in Singapore so so um, you know you you use drugs for a number of years right Mm. and uh, particularly for those times in Singapore were you ever like afraid of being caught what was the mindset Uh, at the time Definitely, um, it always goes it's at the back of your head Mm. Uh, but whenever you're high uh, you don't think of mm, that, you know. Mm. But it's always at the back of my head. I'm 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 a pretty cautious guy. I thought I knew my friends, the kind of people I was around with. But you know, um best way to pass around news is the word of mouth. Mm. So you can never trust anybody. Um today I learned that you can never trust uh, anybody around you, you know, especially your closest friends. 
Having steadily maintained his drug consumption habit throughout the years, Johnson's lifestyle came crashing down one day when one of his closest friends told on him to the police, which led to a subsequent arrest. I was angry because um, usually when they raid your place, is suspicion of you trafficking. And I wasn't a trafficker. I was just a user. Loads running through my head because uh, I, w- I was staying in a rental place. Like, what's going to happen to my rent? Like, my family is going to get to know about this. Most often, just just, just piss. Like, uh, why would anybody uh, rent me out? Uh, it was nice. I sometimes gave a home to uh, friends that get kicked out at home. So I housed them. And I mean, that's the kind of people that would actually, at the end of the day, turn around and just stab you at the back. Ultimately, Johnson was sentenced to one year in prison, which all things considered, was relatively light given Singapore's harsh stance on drug use. That being said, however, it was still far from being a walk in the park. The, the, the sentence is for a year. I don't know whether will I be sitting in for a full year. Uh, will I get an opportunity to see anybody, anybody coming to visit me? The first one was difficult. Basically, in Singapore, prison is uh, four walls. And you're 22 hours in the cell with whoever you're with. I think the first month, I just had about six of us. In and out, six, and then four, and then six again. So yeah, it really played with the with the mind, trying to make you mentally stronger, I guess. That's why it's called the deterrence phase. Uh, then you get to know that you get visitations. My family did come. First visit was always a, a, the hardest. Mom crying, sister-in-law crying, brother giving me shit. I am crying. But yeah, you know, all I could say is just apologize. Spending time in prison was already difficult enough. But on top of that, Johnson also had to worry about what to do once he got out of prison. As Brian mentioned earlier, society is not kind to past offenders, and the available options were limited at best. Fortunately, after four months in prison, Johnson was placed into a community-based program where he would continue serving out his sentence out of a different camp and would be able to start working as well. As Brian explains, this all plays into the larger process of reintegration. In a way, I would say they are technically released because they are back into this thing that we have, which is called the community-based program that mm. is run by prisons. Okay. So that's where the Johnson over here was actually emplaced into the Lloydley's camp. They actually travel to work to and fro. There are certain curfews in which they have to, to follow through. It varies across the different types of uh, offences and, and, and programmes. So I can't really specify which is which. I think it actually falls back into the British system of the remission phase where they are allowed to, to serve their remaining sentence back into the community. It does help to reintegrate people back because you know when you're stuck in cluster, your interaction with family and the outside world is, is very limited. So for our ex-offenders to come back out, meet their families, have their family support, it, it does help greatly in terms of their mental strength, in terms of their resilience and, and their will to, to push on throughout the program and, and finish the sentence uh, positively. La. And incidentally, this would also be where Brian would meet Johnson for the first time. Yeah, so uh, Johnson's case, you know, it's, it's a tale that, that of, of, of many before him as well. Mm. You know, I, I would say uh, the profile of people that we handle, you know, they've gone through, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of hardship, a lot of difficulties, a lot of pain in their lives. That leads to certain mistakes which land them in prison. You know, I mean, for Johnson's case, it was more towards curiosity and just trying out narcotics. Mm. Uh, But for other people, you know, it may be a form of escape through the difficult challenges that they face in their lives. Or, you know, just in a, in a moment of, of anger or folly, you know, they, they, they commit something that's, that's uh, undesirable. So, you know, 
incarceration is is like what Johnson mentioned. It's, it's a difficult thing. De- definitely the early stages uh, of, of the incarceration is the most challenging part. All the thoughts, the regrets, uh, everything is running through your head, you know, the anger and all that. But um, I feel generally it's the most important thing is that you you take it as a learning experience. You grow from that experience and you just uh, come out a better man. It is good to note here, however, that employment arrangements made during the community-based program is handed out on an assignment basis, which, while it certainly does help to ease the reintegration process, may not necessarily churn out the best fit in the longer term. In Johnson's case, he was initially assigned to work in the F&B sector and took on the role without complaint, but deep down, he knew that his heart and passion belonged elsewhere, in his previous role as a personal trainer. It's what I've always been good at ever since I became a personal trainer. I, I, I know this is my life career. You know, if I had a, a roadblock and then I need to come back to it, it's going to be difficult. So that drive to come back to um, personal training, definitely there. Because I was, uh, before incarceration, I was very used to it. Before incarceration was seven years. And when he met Brian, it was hard to hide that passion. When I first met him, you know, he was very driven. He was very upbeat, a very positive uh, chap. Lah. Okay. Uh, so just, just talking like what I mentioned, you know, his, his passion to actually return back to the former employment that he was, was there. So naturally, the best, most optimal route to help him with his reintegration especially would be to, to put him in an environment where he's familiar and he can thrive. was a bit of a challenge in the initial stage. There were certain things that we had to abide by, certain restrictions that were in place because of his program. But at the same time, so for my end, I mean for Yellow Ribbons and you know, we still have to manage the expectation of our employers mm. uh, because they have certain you know, operational timings that they want to meet. So I think it was a bit of a challenge, but yeah, eventually we, we got there. <laughs> At this point, I want to remind everyone again that this is still, in essence, a prison reform program. Yes, they do get some freedom, and yes, they do get the privilege to go on and work, but switching assignments, like in Johnson's case, is pretty rare. It's not like he's at a job fair with a buffet of career options laid out in front of him. He was, after all, still serving out his sentence. The exception in this case, then, boils down to two things. Brian's willingness to go the extra mile to help Johnson, we deal with many employers who are supportive in this environment and you know uh, Johnson having this this employer who was his previous employer the relationship was already there I think both of us we were just very committed to really helping him get back on his feet you know get back into a familiar environment and just uh, creating a career for himself and Johnson's own drive and passion for the job ultimately I say we made a, a very good decision you know he was promoted to team leader in just a few months he was very independent he could do anything that was required of him you know without any fuss then you know unfortunately we had covid right and with that you know singapore all the gyms across singapore had to close temporarily Johnson and i we spoke about it he had some uh, difficulties trying to adjust and adapt working in this huge space this big environment with with loads of equipment to suddenly being confined in his house at the same time you know the clients would normally come to the gym and he will assist them he would train them and all but you know with the closure they, they can't come right. so they're all stuck at home and you know with COVID uh, I mean me myself as well during COVID you know you got very lazy right. you don't really want to do much exercise because you're working from home all the time so I think uh the great thing that Johnson did also was he, he took this initiative to actually call his clients, mm. uh, call his clients, to speak to them, keep them motivated, keep them, them 
<laughs> yeah, so keep them motivated, keep them, you know, uh, focused on their their fitness regime. Right, right. At the same time, also, you know, he he led his team to also create multiple fitness videos to post on Facebook, post on Instagram, on his company's page, just to generally keep clients uh, following their their routine and keeping healthy. At the same time, you know, he's also pushing his his team yeah. members, you know, to just stay motivated, stay positive, and and hope that everything will just blow over eventually, lah. There's much you can learn from the way Johnson pushed his team through the challenging COVID-19 period, as well as from his overall reintegration process. In both times, he was placed in difficult circumstances, had constraints put upon him, and yet was still able to push above his position and carve out new opportunities for himself and his company. It highlights the importance of perseverance, of hanging in there when times are tough, and of being able to find a way through difficult times. On a broader level, you could even say that his story shows how even ex-offenders deserve a second chance. Of course, it will be more difficult to forgive the more violent criminals, but for prisoners like Johnson, their stories really often boil down to just bad choices or bad mistakes. And as such, I hope that we as a society can see past the stigmas and offer them the second chance that they're so desperate to have. A chance to learn from their past failures and to try again. That's a lesson learned, definitely. Um, I wouldn't say I don't want to trust people, but uh, I choose my friends very carefully right now. Tend to avoid old friends who were also involved in narcotics. If I see them outside, obviously I'm not going to run. Um, still gonna say hi, mm. but it's not gonna be like before. Like you know, hey, what's up, man? So, and you know, uh, also let's meet up at 10 p.m. Mm. My place, kind of thing. None of that. Keep myself focused. Uh, keep myself busy. I think that's that's one of the key things because um, I believe people who take narcotics is all about just uh, getting that rush yeah. to the head. I'm very appreciative of what Brian has already done. Like I said before, we were strangers, but he put his neck out push for my swap in my um, industry these guys have been doing a good job I hope every single one of them are just like Brian it's pure they do it from the heart to help I'm very thankful for Yellow Ribbon putting the effort to help me get where I am especially Brian I would say you know like incarceration is it's a monumental challenge uh, but that's where I feel that you know that's where Yellow Ribbon really comes in and that's how we support our people, support our, our ex-offenders by, you know, providing support, uh, providing training, uh, skills upgrading, everything at least like two to six months prior to, you know, their release. It's not just about securing employment. It's a long-term thing, you know, and uh, it's really career development. Yeah, so, so how we do that is like we, at the same time, you know, when people are incarcerated in prison, especially if they've been in prison for a long time, you know, for maybe 10 years or so, Singapore is ever-changing, right? We've gone through smart nation, digitalization, and all this. So we want really want to keep our inmates uh, focused, keep them upgraded, keep them uh, built on their suitability towards the environment. Maybe some words of encouragement I would give to ex-offenders out there and, and people who are looking to support ex-offenders is that uh, it's just a mistake that they've made. You know, people ex-offenders are just people like you and I. The only difference is that their mistake actually. Uh, cost them something you know but uh, Yellow Ribbon is always here to walk the path of reintegration with you mm. and we will support you as much as we can 
definitely mm-hmm. you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so at the same time you know we have we have many cases of ex-offenders also giving back to society contributing volunteering you know helping out with social agencies and all this mm-hmm. so everybody deserves a second chance <laughs> we want to just ensure that we keep this spirit going uh, and for you know for, for ex-offenders out there you know I just feel that if you all you need is heart and you will make it And so with that brings the end to this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and much thanks to Johnson for sharing his incredible journey and for Brian and the Yellow Ribbon Singapore team for helping to set this interview up. If you'd like to find out more about what they do, I'll be leaving links to their website in the episode description. Do check them out. And with that, the Screwed Up Moments podcast was produced and edited by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions. Episode music was sourced from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe. If you enjoy listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends, or by subscribing and leaving and rating a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email dkoordi at fableproductions.com. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again. Thank you for listening. <laughs>